And for the last few months, I haven't been here in this building. I've been joining in from home, um, sitting on my couch with a, a seven-year-old on my lap. They're, they're there. Hi, family. Um, and I get the opportunity to come today, and I want to tell you a story from uh, Acts chapter 8. But before I do that, uh, i got to set the scene a little bit with Acts chapter 6 and 7. Do you remember last week, Nate talked about Acts chapter 6, and there was this division in the church. Um, there was a division between the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. The Hebraic Jews spoke Aramaic, the Hellenistic Jews spoke Greek, and they grew up in a Greek culture. Um, and what we're told in Acts chapter 6 is that the Hebraic widows, I'm going a little crazy here, the Hebraic widows uh, were receiving all of the, the food that they needed during the daily distribution of food, but the Hellenistic widows were not. The Bible says the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked. And so there was this discrimination that was happening. This issue was brought to the leadership of the church, and the apostles appointed seven men to address this issue of inequity. Basically, a, a seven-person task force that was which charged with figuring out how to um, how to address this prejudice. Two of those men, one was named Stephen and another was named Philip. And the reason I'll mention those two names is because they come up again in chapter 7 and chapter 8. So that's chapter 6. Chapter 7, we have Stephen, uh, one of these men on this, this uh, equity task force who is arrested by the Jewish authorities. Uh, he's arrested, he's brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish leadership, and he ends up preaching this, this fiery sermon, uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus to the Jewish authorities and they're, they're angry, they're livid with him. And so what they end up doing is they, they drag him out of the city, they drag him out of Jerusalem, and they end up stoning him. They throw rocks at him until he's dead. It's a brutal murder, and it sets off this wave of persecution in the church in Jerusalem. And so what happens is the church is scattered. They're scattered throughout the surrounding region outside of Jerusalem, which is Judea, and then as well in a neighboring region, which is Samaria. As they're scattered, Philip, who, remember, is, is the other, uh, one of the other people who's mentioned in Acts chapter 6 as, as part of that equity task force, he heads to Samaria. And as he's going through Samaria, he's preaching, and he is kind of experiencing this revival in Samaria. Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. Crowds of people are coming to hear the gospel of Jesus. And he's, Philip finds himself at the center of this revival, He's embracing the power of God. He's at the center of this revival. He's in the zone. He's experiencing uh, the sweet spot. And then an angel of the Lord comes and says to him, go, leave, go this way. And that's where we'll start in, in Acts chapter 8. Let's pray. God, we, we need you. We need you in order to understand your word. We need you in order to live your word. God, make us aware of your presence in our midst today. May we know you and be known by you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Listen for the word of God. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. 
This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with them. Okay, a little more context. So we find out this man in the chariot, we find out he's a eunuch from Ethiopia, and he's uh, an important official in charge of the queen's treasury. These two things kind of go together. He's working for the queen of Ethiopia, and he's a eunuch. Uh, eunuch's not a word we hear very often these days, but here's the deal. Um, it's kind of a dark thing, but uh, what would happen back in those days in, in certain uh, areas is they would have young boys who were selected to serve in the queen's court when they were older. And so what would happen to these young boys at a very young age is they would have their, uh, their testicles either cut off or crushed. And so what this would mean is as these young boys developed, they would have less testosterone in their, in their system, and so they would develop, it would affect their physical development, it would affect their voice, it would affect their sexual development, and the thought was that they would then be better able to serve in the queen's court because they wouldn't have a sexual desire for the queen. It's awful. Um, one of the things to, that I want to point out is that th this is not a choice that the eunuch would make. It was a choice that was made for this young boy, and it's not something they could ever change. It's not something they could turn on or off. This is, you know, the deed was done. That's how it was for them. So we know that he's a eunuch. We know that he's serving the queen of Ethiopia. We also know that he's on his way home to Ethiopia from Jerusalem. This is a 50, these are 1,500 miles apart. And so if we were to go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem today, it'd be a four-and-a-half-hour flight. We'd be there. But for them, riding on a chariot 20 miles a day on average, it's about a two-and-a-half-month trip. So he's come out from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. We find out that he's come to, to worship God. The reason you'd go to Jerusalem to worship God is because the temple was there. So he's expecting to go to Jerusalem and worship God. And so he travels on a chariot for two and a half months to get there. But when he arrives in Jerusalem, he very likely finds out that he's not allowed into the temple. You see... Jewish law prohibited, prohibited anyone who'd been castrated from entering the temple. Deuteronomy 23.1 says, No one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So this man comes 1,500 miles in a chariot, two and a half months. He came to worship in the temple only to find out that he's not allowed in. Can you imagine? More than that, when he was in Jerusalem, he very likely faced hostility everywhere he went in the holy city. Eunuchs were looked upon in ancient Israel as less than human. They were seen as monstrosities. And so everywhere he went in Jerusalem, he probably faced that. His status as a eunuch left him securely on the outside. He was on the outside of the temple. He was on the outside of God's community. And so now he's on his way back to Africa. But the hostile reception that he received in Jerusalem, the exclusion that he experienced among the very people with whom he most hoped to be included, I don't think we can understand how raw that must have felt. So he travels home, and, and he reads and he attempts to understand the Scripture, but he knows that among God's people, he's an outsider. At a different time, a different season in my life, maybe a different uh, cultural or political climate, I may have read this story and I may have somehow uh, tried to relate to the eunuch. 
I may have thought, you know what? We've all experienced life on the outside. We've all experienced the sting of what it's like to be an outsider. We've been excluded from a group. We've been teased. We've been looked down upon. I, I might have told a story about uh, myself in, in high school, the first few days of high school eating lunch alone. Or I might have told a story about uh, you know, times when I, I've been you know, excluded because of my faith. I might have preached about God reaching out to the eunuch the suffering outsider on a, a wilderness road, and the message would have been something like, take heart, friends. When we feel like we're on the outside, God is chasing after us. God is eager to include us because we're, God, we're part of God's family and God will not leave us alone because that's not who God is and that's not what God does. And, and while all of that is true, while that message would be true, I think now, for me, it feels, it feels a little off, feels a little hollow. I'm a rich, white, heterosexual man. I don't know if I can really speak to what it's like to be an outsider. I don't worry about going out on a run and not coming home because someone saw me as dangerous or suspicious. I don't have to hide my, my sexuality from my family or my colleagues or my classmates because I fear that I'll be looked down upon. I don't have to wonder where my next meal will come from or where I will sleep tonight. I cannot presume that I understand what it's like to suffer as an outsider. When I read Acts 8, I can't relate to the eunuch. I just can't. Nate talked about it last week. He talked about us living in this world where prejudice and discrimination and exclusion are everywhere we turn. And if we haven't noticed, it's because we haven't been looking or we've become too tired or too distracted or too numb or too uncomfortable or too indifferent. So the Ethiopian invites Philip up into the chariot to sit with him. And here's what happens. Verse 32. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. This is from Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture in Isaiah and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Poof. It doesn't say poof, but I added that. And the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Can you picture it? First, try to picture the Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot alone. He, he's headed back from Jerusalem to Africa, and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. I can see him, and I can see, I can see tears welling up in his eyes. Here's the text he's reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Philip listens to the prompting of God. He runs to catch the chariot. 
He explains to the Ethiopian that the text he's reading is about Jesus of Nazareth, a man who walked the countryside breaking religious rule after religious rule, interacting with people who were labeled by the community as off-limits, touching lepers and those who were sick. People stared at him and pointed at him and talked about him behind his back. He was taunted and beaten and nailed to a cross and left to die. Yeah, our story today is about the suffering of an outsider. I imagine as Philip is talking, the Ethiopian, he he tears up again because he's tasted those feelings. He's tasted the feelings of loneliness and isolation and sorrow that this Jesus of Nazareth must have experienced. And yet that's not the end of the story for him. The story does not end with this humiliation and torture. The story does not end with exclusion and death. It does not end with loneliness or sorrow or despair. Philip, he starts there in Isaiah and he, and he moves forward. And he talks about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then something amazing and beautiful happens. Philip baptizes the eunuch. Right there in the middle of the desert, there's water. And the eunuch is baptized. Don't miss this. The eunuch who's faced exclusion and hostility and the bitterness of life on the outside is in this act of baptism, standing waist deep in water with a man he's just met, welcomed into the family of God's people. You know what baptism is, right? Baptism is the means which God uses to put a seal on us and say, you belong to me and to this community. You, Kevin, you belong to me and to this community. You are not on the outside. You, Jody, you belong to me and to this community. You, Mr. Ethiopian eunuch, you belong to me. I will not leave you on the outside. You and you and you, you belong to me. You are not an outsider. So yes, our story is about the suffering of an outsider, and it's a story about a God who's unwilling to leave that outsider alone. But that's not all. We can't stop there. Here's what I want to do. I want to tell you something that could have happened in Acts chapter 8, like an alternate ending, but didn't happen. And then I want to see if we can figure out what to do next. Ready? Here's what could have happened. God could have saved this man in Jerusalem. He traveled 1,500 miles to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is this hotbed for religion at the time, hotbed for for Judaism and Christianity. The eunuch traveled for two months to get there. He had spiritual things in mind. He was probably expecting something big to happen there, and it could have. He could have come across uh, Peter or John like the crippled man in chapter 3. He could have heard Stephen's sermon in chapter 7, and he could have had this profound conversion experience. And he could have been accepted into the community of believers in Jerusalem, but it didn't happen that way, right? Instead, what he finds in Jerusalem is disappointment and exclusion, and so he heads home. Think about it. If it had happened in Jerusalem, if that conversion experience had happened in Jerusalem, we may read this story today and we may, we may see it as kind of expected, right? It'd be a story about a man who went on a spiritual pilgrimage 
to Jerusalem, right to the heart of the church, and found God there. That's a, that's a decent story. That's a great story. But it's not the story in Acts 8. Instead, here in the midst of the open desert, with a disappointed outsider returning to Africa, we've got the Spirit of God prompting Philip to run after this lone chariot. It's clear what's happening here. The eunuch did not find God in Jerusalem. God sent Philip, a man who we previously heard was full of the Spirit and of wisdom. God sent Philip to find the eunuch in the desert. Yeah, our story is about the suffering of an outsider, and it's a story about a God who's unwilling to leave that outsider alone, and it's a story about God who sends someone to make it right. It's a story about a God who sends Philip to the outside to offer hope to the excluded and make the world a better place. At one point, I think I would have tried to connect all of us to the eunuch, but I can't do that because I think, I think, I think we're all supposed to be Philip. I desperately want to be like Philip. I want to be listening intently to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I want to be connected with God and seeking to restore all things. I want to follow God to the wilderness to make sure that nobody is suffering on the outside. Think about how this story begins and ends. It starts and ends with Philip so tuned in to the Spirit of God that when God says go, it's almost magical. Philip goes without a question, even a word. It starts like this, uh, chapter 8, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. We don't hear Philip saying, wait, hold on. What was that, God? I, you're cutting out, right? We don't hear Philip saying, wait, 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 wait. I'm here in Samaria. All these good things are happening. I'm kind of in the zone. I kind of like it here. You sure you want me to go? No, God says go, and he goes. And then after the baptism, this is verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. This is like Harry Potter, Star Trek stuff, right? This is not even God saying, Philip, you should go. This is just like, you know, he's, he's gone. He, I want to be that connected with the Spirit of God. I want to listen that intently for the voice of God. I want to be willing and ready to leave what's comfortable and safe in order to restore all things. But wanting that is easy, right? That's the easy part. Wanting to be that connected to God is easy, but how do we do it? That's always the hard part, right? I want to offer two thoughts and then we're done. First, I think we need to be intentional about spending regular focused time listening to God. We should have it be the first thing we do in the morning or the last thing we do at night or both. Ask God for clarity and then listen intently for God's prompting. If I'm practicing a regular discipline of listening to God, I'll be, I'll be more prepared to discern God's voice when God says, go south to the road, the desert road. And if I'm not practicing listening to God, I won't know. I won't be ready. So first we have to listen. 
And second, and I'll speak for myself here, I need to engage. I need to have a better awareness of the outside. I can't just say that it's someone else's issue or I'm too tired or too busy or too uninformed. I need to engage. Nate brought up last week the, uh, the issues of discrimination and prejudice that surround us, and he talked about how sometimes it just makes us tired, right? And we need to push back against that. I feel like, yes, it can make us tired. It can also make us want to rage. But instead of hiding or raging, I think we all need to engage. If you're looking at any, any modern church history, you know that the church's answer to issues of discrimination and prejudice has not always been great. In fact, uh, we as a church have, uh, not we here in Emmaus, but we you know, globally as a church have often done more harm than good in these areas. In recent conversations with, with leadership here and a few others, uh, I'm sensing there's, there's a felt need for us to um, have more conversations about these issues to figure out how we can respond in a way that is, that is godly, that is holy, that is thoughtful. We need a better solution. And so here's what I want to offer. If you're interested, if you're interested, if you online are interested uh, in joining me and um, others in this community for conversations about race and prejudice, conversations that will uh, include lots of listening, listening to God, listening to one another, conversations that I hope will prepare us to be agents of reconciliation. Let's get together. I want to get together a couple times this summer, and we don't know exactly. We're still kind of figuring out what exactly it'll look like. We want to gauge the level of, of interest, um, but we might have something that's focused on how do we talk to our kids about these issues. We, we might have an opportunity where we're looking at some Martin Luther King Jr. sermons and having some conversations about those things. Um, we want to enter into this thoughtfully and prayerfully. And so if you're interested, what you can do is you can just send an email to info at EmmausCommunity.org and just say, you know, I'm interested or I'm, I'm in or give a, you know, thumbs up emoji or whatever. Uh, but let us know. And then we'll, we'll figure out, you know, who's interested, what kind, of, what kind of level. There'll be opportunities to join in person or online. And... Uh, yeah, let's move forward. I, one of the things I feel so thankful for about this community that I've been part of for over a decade is that it is the place that's, um, that's comfortable pushing into difficult things. And I, I want to continue to do that with you all. Um, let's pray. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your guidance. God, help us be like Philip. Help us be so connected to you that, um, that we can discern your voice and follow in a way that is holy and honorable and magical. Thank you, God, for your grace. Uh, we pray all these things in the name of your Son. Amen.